Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. We're continuing our teaching series this morning called Not God Enough. And this series is kind of based on a book by J.D. Greer. And as we dive in this morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever stopped to think about how much of our lives, especially for those of us who live in America, how much of our lives is customizable? Have you ever stopped to think about how much of our lives can be catered to fit and match our preferences, our desires, our wishes, our wants? A few examples for you, right? Just, just take coffee, for example. I mean, do you like your coffee black with cream? Whole milk, non-fat, hot or iced, whipped or no whip, right? Uh, decaf, extra shot of espresso. The options are limitless. They just keep going. You can be in the line at Starbucks for hours making decisions. Or, you know, we can completely customize our homes to fit every preference that we have. The flooring, the countertops, the paint color, the lighting, the window treatments, Liberty Mutual, which is a, a fairly well-known insurance company, you know the jingle, Liberty, 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 right? You all know, nailed it, nailed it. Uh, they have, right, their whole thing is to customize your insurance. Only pay for what you need. And so we even have customized insurance to go after. But perhaps the best example of customization is food. I mean, just think about Subway. When you are in Subway and just all the choices that you get to make in order to have a sandwich. Or you got Burger King, right? And I mean, they fully embrace the concept of customization. And they use it as a marketing strategy. For decades, their slogan was, have it your way. And I think it's fair to say that we've come to expect that almost everything in our lives can be customized or catered to our preferences. And the majority of time, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, if you've ever experienced something that has been totally customized or catered to your every whim and desire, I mean, that's, it's pretty awesome, right? It's pretty fantastic to have something that's like, man, this is just for me. However, the problem arises when we attempt to customize something that isn't customizable. See, unfortunately, there are times when our desire for personalization, our desire for customization bleeds into our relationship with God. And whether it's intentional or not, there are times when we try to reshape, mold, edit, change, or customize God into something we like, something we think we need, think is best for us or, or works better for us. And we say things like, well, the way I see God is, and we go on to say something. Or, I don't think God would really have a problem with, or, I prefer to think of God as, and, and we finish all of these statements with our preferences and our ideas about who God is and what he's like. In other words, we operate as if we have a Burger King God. A have-it-your-way God. But what we need to understand is that Scripture makes it clear that God is not customizable. See, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, which records the second of the Ten Commandments. It says, You shall not make for yourself an idol, 
in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Or to say it another way, we don't get to change anything about who God is. We don't get to define God as we want him to be or elevate our preferences about God over what God says about himself. See, all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, when, when Moses interacts with God in the form of a burning bush, and he receives this challenge, this command, go back and free the Israelites from slavery. And he says, okay, God, you know, that sounds terrible, but I think I'm on board. And, and he says, okay, but when I start talking to people and they ask me, who sent you? What should I say? All right, what's your name? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says, I am whoever you want me to be. No. No, he doesn't, right? He says, I am who I am. His identity and his character is not up for our debate and discussion. See, God defines who he is. And it's our lifelong duty to learn and grow in our understanding of him. And that's why reading the Bible and studying scripture is so important so that we can have a perspective on God and really life in general, that is shaped by the truth of God's word and not our thoughts, feelings, politics, or public opinion. And so perhaps you hear all this and you start to wonder, do I have a Burger King God? Right? Do I have a Burger King God? Have my preferences, needs, political affiliation altered my perspective on God? Have I created an idol, a version of God that does not fully align with Scripture? And one way to determine if we have a Burger King God is to ask ourselves a series of questions. How often does your God contradict you? How often does your version of God confuse you? How often does your version of God make you mad? You see, because if we have a God that rarely contradicts us, meaning he never calls you out or pushes you to course correct because you've gone off stray or changed the way you think or believe about someone or something, you might have a Burger King God. If you find that you are never confused by God's plan for your life, how he's working or his attributes or characteristics, you might have a Burger King God because he's so small that you can understand him. And if you have a God that never upsets you, meaning you always seem to get what you want, you never have to do anything uncomfortable, it's likely that you have a Burger King God. See, Karl Barth says this, if our God never contradicts us or makes us mad, then we are likely not worshiping him but a reflection of ourselves. You see, if we're never challenged, uncomfortable, mad, or confused, or if we only operate based on what feels right to me, that ought to serve as a warning sign that we're worshiping a customized or a counterfeit God. You see, in order for us to really know the true God of the Bible, then we must be willing for him to say things to us that we don't necessarily want to hear. 
We must understand that there will be times when he makes you mad, when he confuses you, when you are uncomfortable. But when that happens, it's far more likely that you're really interacting with the true God of Scripture and not some version of God, some watered-down version that you created. This tendency to customize God isn't just a present-day American problem. It's something the Israelites struggled with as well. And so this morning, we're going to focus on the Israelites' struggle to obey the second commandment and what you and I can learn from it as well. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I'd encourage you to open it up to Exodus chapter 32. Or if you have your phone, navigate there on the Bible app. Exodus chapter 32, we're going to be walking through a portion of that chapter together this morning. And and while you're turning there, allow me to provide you with some quick context for what's going on leading up to this particular chapter. See, back in Exodus chapter 24, God told Moses to climb to Mount Sinai in order to meet with him. And the purpose of this meeting was for God to communicate to Moses the laws and commands that God wrote that the Israelites were to follow and obey in terms of how they were to live their lives. And so Exodus chapters 25 through 31 goes on to record all these commands and instructions that God gave to Moses during this period of time. And then we find ourselves at Exodus chapter 32, and we're going to pick it up right from the beginning in verse 1. It says... When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. This is a pretty foolish and impulsive reaction by the Israelites. I mean, yes, Moses was gone for an extended period of time. The Bible says 40 days and 40 nights, right? Just shy of six weeks. But it's not like they didn't know exactly where he was. And not only that, right? Okay, he's gone for a period of time. But what also makes the request for a physical God even more puzzling is when you consider all that God had just done for the Israelites in their midst, what they experienced. You see, not long ago, God had inflicted the Egyptians with 10 separate plagues that resulted in their freedom after 400 years of slavery. And then as they leave the country, God parts the Red Sea so the Israelites can walk through on dry ground and not be captured by the Egyptian army, which was in pursuit of them. And then as they're in the wilderness, God miraculously provides food for all of them, over 1 million people every single day. And it's not like like this was some ancient thing in the past. This group of people experienced all of that firsthand. They walked through the water. They got out of slavery. They ate the food that God provided. But despite all of that, they were ready to make changes that suited their needs and their desires. They wanted to customize God. Check out what happens next, starting in verse 2. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, 
He built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now, there is so much going on in these first five verses. But perhaps what's most important for us to note is Aaron's words in verse 5. Tomorrow, there will be a festival to the Lord. And this statement indicates that the people's intention was to worship God. There was a festival to the Lord. They were still planning on worship God, worshiping God. The Israelites in this moment were trying to create a brand new God, but a new and improved way to worship God, a method that aligned with their preferences. But see, and this is so important for us to note, is that their intention to worship God still doesn't justify their actions. Despite Aaron's proclamation that we are going to worship the Lord, they were still blatantly breaking the second commandment and thus nullifying or corrupting their worship. Biblical professor Dr. Kevin Zuber provides some additional insight on idolatry. He writes this, Idolatry is unacceptable because any attempt to depict or represent God not only falls short of the truth about God, but inevitably, inevitably distorts the worshiper's understanding of God. God is spirit, John chapter 4, verse 24. It says, thus, any representation will misrepresent him and lead to false notions about him. All idols are thus false gods, and even an idol meant to depict or represent the true God by some carving, statue, or any other physical representation is deforming of the truth about God. You see, as a result of their idolatry, their attempt to worship God was in actuality the worship of an idol, a false God. In other words, a customized God is a false God. And if that weren't bad enough, their misguided and idolatrous attempt to worship God led to other sin issues. In verse 6, we see that their festival to the Lord not only included offerings, but it also says in the ESV that the people rose up to play. Now, this expression, rose up to play, does not refer to a Hebrew family game night, right? They're not exactly playing Monopoly altogether in this moment. No, the NIV says, right, they indulge in revelry. So to put it mildly, the people were engaged in behavior that were not suitable for God's people. And so in reality, their worship wasn't to glorify God, but rather a means or an excuse to fulfill their own sinful desires. You see, their Burger King God was all about them. And lastly, we see yet another example of their desire to have a Burger King God, a customizable God, in their choice of an image to worship. Have you ever wondered when you've been reading this passage before or right here in this moment, why did they make a calf? Like, there, there's so many other things they could have chosen. Why a calf? Like, can you even write it, right? Like, why, why about this animal? Why not any other image? And one study note says the bull or the calf 
was a symbol of the Canaanite god Baal, the god of fertility and strength and power. It was also a symbol of the Egyptian bull god Apis, with which the Israelites were familiar. And so not only was their idolatry an attempt to adopt the religious practices of those surrounding cultures and fit it in to their worship of God, but the calf also represented something that they felt they needed. Strength, power, and protection from their surrounding enemies. And so they made an idol. They changed God in an attempt to meet their needs. Now, there's still a whole bunch more that takes place in this chapter, but for now, this morning, we're going to focus on what we learn about creating a Burger King God, a God who is customizable and therefore counterfeit. And so the first lesson that we learn that is that customizable gods often correspond to our fears, needs, and desires. See, certainly, the Israelites had plenty of legitimate needs and fears as they wandered the wilderness. How will our basic needs be met? What if a surrounding people group attacks us? What if the Egyptians regroup and come chasing after us? When do we get a place of our own and stop having to wander around aimlessly? You see, unfortunately, they dealt with their legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. And rather than trusting in God and his promises to provide for them and satisfy them and protect them, they turned to something that was familiar to them, something they had seen before around them in the, in the country that they lived. This wasn't a brand new idea. They adopted something that was familiar to them, a tangible image or an idol, a false god, and they brought that in to satisfy their needs. You see, they failed to understand the magnitude of God, how big God is, and they failed to cling to his promises. And so in their failure to trust him, they did something to make up for what they perceived to be a deficiency in the God that they believed in. In other words, they decided that they knew better than God did, and so they took matters into their own hands. Now, I'm willing to bet that you and I aren't necessarily making tangible, physical idols at home, right? Like, I don't know that you've got a corner of your house or a room dedicated, like, this is where I make idols. I, I doubt that's actually going on at your house. But here's the thing. Just like the Israelites, we also customize God to satisfy our needs or deal with our fears, and if we have a need that hasn't been met, a desire that hasn't been fulfilled, or a concern that has yet to be addressed, we have this tendency to customize God in a way that allows us to get what we think we need or want. There's examples of this all over the place in the church. See, there are people who love God, but have created a version of God that guarantees that they will have money and possessions, and blessings, and happiness if they follow God. 
And, and they say things like, God wants me to be happy, so... And then they go on to explain whatever they're going to do. And it's their happiness. It's their prosperity that becomes the justification for their actions or the filter through which they make decisions. There are followers of Jesus who want sexual freedom to do things their way. And so they invent a permissive God as a way to justify their behavior. We're engaged We're going to get married. We even set a date. And so what's the big deal if we sleep together before we're married? Or or doesn't God want us to be good stewards of our finances? And if God wants us to be good stewards of our finances, well, then it just makes sense that we move in together now to use our money more efficiently and in a way that honors God. And so even, even so, we're not married yet. Well, let's just move in together now. Or isn't what matters to God most a loving and committed relationship? And so it it doesn't matter if that happens in the context of a same-sex relationship. There are other followers of Jesus who want to get out of their marriages. And in specific instances, God allows for that. But more often than not, we create a God who accepts all of our reasoning for pursuing a divorce. You see, we could come up with examples after example, but whatever our reasoning is for creating a customized God, it's so important for us to understand that God cares far more about our sanctification, that we become more and more like Jesus than fulfilling our preferences. In fact, he wants us to look and think and act and talk like Jesus much more than give us every desire that we have. Remove every concern or fear from our lives or give us every non-essential need. But for those who continue to customize God in an effort to satisfy their desires or meet their needs or deal with their fears, there will come a point in time when, they, when their, their counterfeit God doesn't come through for them. It won't come through. But before you go on to complain that God didn't hold up his end of the bargain, or before you go on to lose your faith in God altogether, you need to understand that the God you're complaining about and the God that you're losing faith in isn't the real God anyways. It's a version of God that you created. The real God hasn't failed you. Your idol, your counterfeit God, your Burger King God is the one who's let you down. The second lesson that we need to learn is that customizable gods corrupt us spiritually. See, after everything unfolds in the Israelite camp in verses 1 through 6, God says to Moses, you better head back down the mountain so you can see what's going on. You're going to be so proud of them. They are worshiping me wholeheartedly, and we have never been closer. No, that is not how things play out. You see, in Exodus chapter 32, verse 7 through 10, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made for themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Jump down to verse 9. It says, I have seen these people 
says the Lord to Moses. And they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Talk about a good day not to be an Israelite, right? Whew. Now, if you recall in verse 5, Aaron said that this golden calf would be part of their festival to the Lord. But despite their intent to worship God, their customized God actually led them further away from God and deeper into sin. And this account in Exodus chapter 32 is a, it's a picture of what happens to us when we worship customized and counterfeit gods. You see, it's impossible for a false god to draw us closer to the one true God. And the only possible outcome we have is that we're going to drive a wedge between us and God. And if we fail to realize or acknowledge that we've created an idol, a version of God that does not fully align with Scripture, that wedge that we've put in place is only going to grow. You see, earlier we said that God defines who he is, and it's our job to learn and grow in our understanding of him. And so as we work to have as full and accurate understanding of God as we can, it's only going to get easier to identify those times or situations in our lives where we have a greater tendency to customize God to fit our preferences. And of course, our hope is that this, this biblical perspective, worldview that we develop will allow us to course correct, to see when we are missing the mark so we don't fall into the same trap as the Israelites. Having a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview is imperative. Unfortunately, so many Christians are lacking in biblical knowledge, which results in an incomplete and inaccurate view of God. And when we're operating with this inaccurate perspective or understanding of who God is, the likelihood that we'll create a customized God intentionally or not is so much greater. For example, if your version of God is holy but is lacking grace and compassion, then this incomplete understanding of God will cause you to be a mean, judgmental, religious person. If your version of God is not fully in control or sovereign over your life, then when something goes wrong or not according to your plan, you're going to be filled with panic and anxiety. You see, at the end of the day, a distorted view of God leads to a corrupted spiritual life. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do I have an incomplete or inaccurate view of God? And has that view led to the creation of my own version of God. And of course, we're never going to know everything there is to know about God. Like we said last week, he is infinite and we are not. But as we discussed last week, there's an element of comfort that comes with knowing that God is too great and too big to be fully understood because a God that we fully understand is a God not worth worshiping. Now, that being said, with this fact in place that God is far greater than we'll ever be able to understand and fully know, Jesus calls us as his followers to love God with all of our 
minds. Which means we need to work hard to grow in our knowledge, understanding of who he is, even though he is too great to be fully comprehended. And by doing so, and then applying that knowledge to our lives, we can experience a spiritual life that thrives because it's based on the true identity of God rather than some counterfeit God that we created. The third lesson that we learn is that customizable gods will only disappoint us. Now, for those of you who are sports fans or football fans, you know that the NFL draft took place over the last few days. And the draft is an opportunity for every team or organization in the league to pick new players to join their roster. And throughout the draft, teams will make trades with one another to better position their teams to get the player that they want. Now, all the way back in 2017, the NFL draft, my beloved Chicago Bears sat with the third pick, which means they were just absolutely terrible the year before, right? Who had the second pick? The San Francisco 49ers. They were even worse. Now, we, the Chicago Bears, initiated a trade on draft day. We said, hey, why don't we swap picks? We'll go into the second spot. You guys can have the third. And because we're so kind, generous, and loving, we will also give you three more picks for allowing us to move up one spot. Right? I'm not bitter or anything. With that one pick, the second pick of the 2017 NFL Draft, the Chicago Bears selected quarterback from the University of North Carolina, some no-name, named Mitchell Trubisky. That has haunted Bears fans to this day. Why? Because we did not select national championship quarterback Deshaun Watson from the University of Clemson or Patrick Mahomes both of whom were drafted later in that round and have gone on to have far more NFL success than Mitchell Trubisky. An absolutely brutal trade. I'm still not mad, though. It's all right. Now, if you're not a sports fan and you're like, what the heck is this guy talking about? You're just going to have to trust me. It was a bad trade. However, it was nothing, nothing in comparison to the trade the Israelites made. See, back in Exodus chapter 19, just three months removed from their uh, exodus of Egypt, God meets with Moses on Mount Sinai and he says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations... You will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What an amazing promise. What an amazing position to be in. Sadly, we know that the Israelites exchanged all of that for a golden calf. They exchanged that the fact that the true God has promised to supply all of their needs, to protect them, to be present with them. But they traded all of that for a false God, an idol who wouldn't do one thing to ever meet any of their needs, their desires, and their concerns and fears. You see, they customized, the customized God that, that they created 
was meant to satisfy and cater to their desires, but it only left them disappointed. Of course, there are no guarantees about the NFL draft. And every team is making an educated guess about how the player that they pick is going to perform at the next level. But what makes the Israelites trade so egregious is that they traded a fully guaranteed God for essentially nothing. Absolutely nothing. That would be like the Bears picking Trubisky, knowing full well Mahomes would get him a Super Bowl. Stupid. (laughs) But that's what you and I do as well. Every time we say, you know what? I think I got this one figured out. God, let me do it my way. God, no, 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 I think I can handle my relationship and my finances better than you can. God, I feel like I can navigate certain dynamics without you, certain elements of my life without you. And we customize God to fulfill our needs, to meet our desires. Instead of trusting that we have such a big God that he wants to go to work for us. He wants to give us what we need most. He wants to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus. See, we all have a choice to make. We can choose a version of God that we can understand and that we can control. We can choose a version of God who affirms what I affirm, who meets my every desire and removes every challenge from my path. Or we can choose the God who is beyond our understanding and control. We can choose the God who will sometimes confuse us, challenge us, contradict us, allow us to experience discomfort, but at the end of the day, has the power to satisfy you, sustain you, and save you. And the choice is ours. My hope and prayer is that we would humble ourselves enough to trust what God says about the hard things, about the difficult things, about the things that don't make sense to us or that we don't initially agree with, rather than think that we can come up with an image of God that's better than the one true God. May we cling to the words of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.